and welcome to your favorite movie. I'm your host, Evan Kelly. I've always loved movies. I feel they have a unique power that isn't found in other types of media. So I've invited a few of my friends to come and talk about their favorite movies. This isn't a debate. I'm not trying to challenge anyone or determine the objective greatest movie of all time. My hope is simply to begin to reach at the heart of what makes film so powerful. My guest today is Dylan House. Dylan is an avid fan of film who studied film at Bowling Green State University. He is a visual artist, writer, and performer with a background in speech and debate as well as stand-up comedy. Currently, he's a member of the Sad Boys Social Club, a comedy ensemble that performs live and releases sketches on YouTube and TikTok. Dylan is a good friend and former roommate of mine, I can attest that living with him is like taking a film studies course. He brings exceptional knowledge of both the social history of film and its technical production. Dylan's favorite movie is the 1993 comedy Dazed and Confused. Dazed and Confused is a slice of life depicting one liminal day in a local high school community, the last day of school. Juniors become seniors and are tasked with initiating the new freshmen into the wild world of high school. The story is loosely organized around the actions of Randall Pink Floyd, played by Jason London. Pink is the star quarterback of the football team, but feels equally at home in all social groups, the jocks, the stoners, and the nerds. Faced with signing a pledge to abstain from drugs and alcohol during the upcoming football season, Pink contemplates his own moral code as he stands on the precipice of adulthood. Dazed and Confused is the second feature written and directed by the groundbreaking Richard Linklater, and contains many of his trademark touches, such as unconventional use of time, a classic rock soundtrack, and the thematic exploration of coming of age. Though the film grossed just $8 million against a $7 million budget, it has steadily risen in esteem, and today is a bona fide cult classic, recently earning a spot on Entertainment Weekly's list of the greatest high school movies. Dazed and Confused is also notable for its loaded cast of future stars, such as Joey Lauren Adams, Mila Jovovich, Rory Cochran, Adam Goldberg, Anthony Rapp, Ben Affleck, Parker Posey, and Matthew McConaughey. Here is my interview with Dylan House. Dylan House, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Evan. Uh, it's really great to be here. I'm, uh, I'm glad you had me on. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. We, we go way back talking about movies, so this is going to be good. So what is your favorite movie? So my favorite movie I'd like to talk about here today is Dazed and Confused, um, directed by Richard Linklater. What What do you love about this movie? Oh, well, I, I love a coming-of-age story. I, I think I'm still at a point, and I'm wondering if maybe this will change as I get older, but I'm still at a part where a uh, point in my life where I feel like a coming-of-age movie is really is, is still very charming to me. Maybe it's still an experience I'm still close to, um, but those stories still do hold such a great a great charm for me something i keep wanting to come back to and days confused is definitely one of those movies that sparked that for me but there's so many other things about the movie uh i'd like to talk to and that make it one of my favorites one of my one of my favorite things is just that it's all right if i go into this it's just that all the characters feel like like fully realized people and i mean though they are young we understand that they have their own motivations and their own conflicts throughout the film and i really like that link later provided those character motivations to his actors before 
they began filming. And I and it really does develop this world. So you're not just like he's a stock stoner character. And it's just great watching it. You you, you I feel like they totally embody these characters. And many people have said that. A lot of people, especially, you know, like in the nineties. Uh, when it would play on like TV, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, before the internet, people would see it and not even know the context of it being a period film. Some people would see it, you know, before they see like Ben Affleck or something show up, they think, oh man, is this, <laughs> was this shot in the 70s, you know? So it, it, it has a great amount of authenticity to it. Yeah. And it's so remarkable how so many of the members of the cast ended up having very successful careers. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like, Linklater rounded up a bunch of nobodies. Like you said, Ben Affleck's in it and Cochran and Mila Jovich, like so many very famous performers kind of got their start in this. Yeah. So many people were, were, were in this and then right after this in several other like teen films, like Rory Cochran was in uh, Empire Records right after this. And and there's Mm. even like an ad for the soundtrack to Dazed and Confused in the, the record store. But another thing that I really like about the movie, I meant to mention this earlier uh, a moment ago, was what I always appreciated about it as a coming-of-age movie is I felt like it very accurately depicted how I experienced, like, high school cliques. Okay, can you explain a little more about that? Of course, yeah. Like, you know, we're, we're very used to, and I feel like a lot of media capitalizes on the sort of, like, John Hughes interpretation of high school culture and cliques that Mm. it's very segregated that you have the nerds the jocks you know so so on and so forth in days confused i believe those cliques exist but they aren't as rigidly adhered to like Mm. we have the main character of pink and his whole thing and this goes into his whole crisis within the film is that he is moving throughout the different groups you see him with his football friends but you also see him with the stoner kids and you see him with the the kind of intellectual kids the the nerdy kids if you will so it really yeah, he's, he's on me, the paper or whatever yeah and then when the movie kicks off and we actually get the kids like partying and and you know meeting up throughout the night those groups do kind of intermingle you know we see like dawn uh one of the one of the football players hang out with like slater and some of the other stoner guys you know, it's just, it's, they're all about having a good time and it's not as much about like, well, I'm a, I can only hang out with jocks. In fact, there's a part, there's a point, uh, when Don gets out of the car with Ben Affleck's character, O'Bannon, and he kind of was like bitching about hanging out with him. Like he, like it was just sort of out of, out of obligation because, oh yeah, we're football players. So I got to hang out with this guy, but I really don't like him that much. Mm-hmm. And I, I, to me, I really felt like that was very much like my high school experience. Like there were definitely like, yeah, you know, there's like football players and there's like druggy kids and nerdy kids, but you know, they all kind of knew each other and like would hang out on occasion if they, if they wanted to, you know, if they, if there was a, a reason to that, I always appreciated about the movie. It felt real in that, um, in that sense. I want to turn this around. Anything anything stick out to you this time re, uh, watching it through? Well, that, that's a great way to segue into what I think is most memorable about this movie. And I'll, I'll obviously give you an yeah. opportunity to give yours as well. But the two things that stick out the most to me, number one is the scene where they get O'Banion back. Ben mm-hmm. Affleck's character really takes 
a sadistic glee in attacking the freshmen and some of them decide that they've had enough and they, they prank him back and they dump all this paint yeah. on him. And yeah, you, you see that when that happens, all the other seniors are just like, Oh, thank goodness. Somebody finally, <laughs> somebody finally gave him the business. Like he has no one who backs him up after he gets punked and it's, it's beautiful. And then he's done in the movie. O'Banion does not come back, he, uh, which is he technically, really he fun. does come back. It's another thing. Like the movie kind of edits around him. He's there at the end in the moon tower scene. He does show back up in a different costume and he's breaking up. You see him breaking up the um, fight uh, that those two guys are having. Uh, I tried looking for him this time around and I couldn't see him, but I, I've, I've read before he's there. So he's he's not in the story anymore. He's not in the story though. So essentially he is out of the film in all intents and purposes. Yeah. The other most memorable part for me is the soundtrack. I mean, God, of course, this set a new standard, I think for, kind of 70s jukebox soundtracks in a way that would be widely emulated throughout the 90s and 2000s and even into today. I I know that this scene isn't supposed to necessarily have the best and most straight up music cue, but there's just something that strikes me so much about them playing Love Hurts by Nazareth at the eighth grade dance. Oh, I love that scene. That scene, that scene's great. And it, yeah. But it's just going through that to get to that back room with the black lights where all the kids are making yep. out. It's just it's so mm. it's so accurate. It's like, yeah, this is like the kind of like gross shit that went on at these sort of like eighth grade dances. You know, it's like I never really went to that kind of stuff because it, it, it always felt like kind of scummy like that. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's just kids, but still it's like being a kid. You're like, I don't want to be there for that. I don't want to be a part of that scene, <laughs> man. Yeah. There's just so many, there's so many lines in this movie that I, I love so much, but I do want to go. I want to loop back to something you did talk about earlier and something that, that, that goes back to getting O'Banion back. Uh, and one of the themes of the movie that I kind of sussed out this time around was this idea of like, violence as like a rite of passage like there is an amount of violence that you have to endure as a rite of passage to become an adult and it's and that is what like the hazing is and then you see like how they treat O'Banion who takes the violence a step too far it's like there's an acceptable amount of violence that we're going to inflict on these on these children, these younger children, but like there's levels, right? Like there's a step too far. And I think that's what I like about them treating those, at least those two kids, the eighth grade boy and the eighth grade girl we follow, they treat them so nicely after it does go to show that's like, okay, well you've gotten it out. Here's what you get from, from getting that pain up front. By showing that you you can tolerate that pain, you get this sort of pleasure, you know, for lack and of a better word. And I do think, no, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of one of my main reservations about the film is kind of the the hazing and the violence. But it is interesting that there are moments where you kind of see it is in a way optional or the authority of the seniors is nebulous because there's that scene at the very end where... Parker Posey's character tries to make Sabrina, the eighth grade girl who's becoming a freshman, she sees her at the party and she tries to make her do the air raid, you know, drop drop to the ground. 
and she just doesn't do it. And <laughs> so the, the older girl just has to walk, walk away. Her authority is very artificial. Parker Posey is one of the greatest character. Her, her character in this movie is one of the greatest characters, I think, in cinema. She has the great quote that I wrote down, wipe that face off your head, bitch. There's another scene that there's so there's a couple of scenes in this movie that you could argue lead the movie to passing the Bechdel test. One of them is a scene where she's in the she's like in a truck and they're driving to a party or something with Joey Lauren Adams and like another girl. And they're just talking. It's like, what did she say about me? What did she say? That bitch. <laughs> like, I love how yeah, she's she just called like, you a slut and you a bitch. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> That's a good scene. The other scene is one earlier on where um, they're talking about the Gilligan's Island scene in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. That's a great scene. Yeah, Yeah, a a, a critical feminist reading of uh, Gilligan's Island. Just in the middle of this movie that's ostensibly about like 70s nostalgia. Which, But that's a a point I want to talk about too. But what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that that sort of random interjections of pop culture analysis, I think gets credited to Tarantino a lot, but really going back even to Slacker, I, I would argue that Linklater was first in inserting that type of sensibility into his characters. Yeah. I mean, and he was coming from it from that academic perspective, you know, cause he, he had gone to college, you know, he had, he had sat in on a lot of lectures and stuff. That's all waking life is basically. It's just mm-hmm. like college lectures. And I, and I kind of commend him for that. It's like, you just put college lectures like on film. That's great. And, and I think that's, what's great about it too. Is like, he, yeah, he does. He, the, like the little bit of like, you know, pop feminism he knew at that time you know he interjects into this movie the dialogue in this movie all feels so accurate there's a lot of scenes in the movie that have just like shots of just people doing things and there's a lot of just like lingering shots of things throughout the movie link i i had heard in the commentary one thing that he wanted to do was shoot it as if he was like there at the time with a camera so there so it lingers on like bong rips you know it lingers on you know people like chugging beer stuff like that you know like the very like high school cool stuff i think he had i think he paid a lot more attention i don't know if it was just youth um because something like everybody wants some which i haven't seen since i think we went and saw it in the theater we we saw Mm -hmm. that together um yeah when it came out and i remember that being kind of mad that there's some there's some music cues in the movie that are like anachronistic like he plays like a cars song mm-hmm. that didn't come out until like two years later or something and, it, and and this is a guy who at the time when he made this movie was fretting that he put like why can't we be friends on the soundtrack when that had released like the same day as the movie or something like that like it was very mm-hmm. like he was he was he was so upset about that detail at the time whereas years later it's like well i'll put a cars song because people know the cars that's from the 80s so (laughs) i respect that a lot more in this film there's a great attention to detail with stuff like that and a lot of that dialogue too is a lot of it is improvised i mentioned that those girls talking in the car i think that was improvised because they they were like Mm. They were all friends. They had on the set, and they're like, "Well, we want a scene of us just like talking, you know, like doing something." Apparently, a lot of the actors would go to Richard Linklater and be like, "Yeah, let's let's do a thing. Let's you know, let's shoot a thing." 
Yeah, so an, another one of the the aspects that I think is really neat, and it, it talks about that verisimilitude that you spoke to, was all the scenes in that arcade. Like, there are shots that he has sort of POV from inside the pinball machine or inside the foosball yeah. table that you couldn't really get if, if you were just a, a guy there with a the camera. I, I just feel like that gives us such a sense of that atmosphere and what it felt like to be young at that time. And th- that is something that I think the movie captures really well is that youthful feeling so it's it's interesting to me that you say that you still have this connection to it can you speak more to how you still resonate with such a youthful brio i don't i just think there's it 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 just does it so well and i feel like and maybe it's just because i I've, i've i've enjoyed it for so long you know, I kind of, once I was in high school, probably like the last couple of years, I, I started making it more, making more of a conscious effort to watch it, you know, on the actual last day of high school. So from there, you know, it's kind of been with me, but now like this time when I was watching it, I was just struck by it just being such a great film. I just, I think it's one of those great coming of age movies that just gets what it's like to be a kid, something like 400 Blows. Um, is mm. like that too. And I know that's another influence for Linklater is uh, someone like Francois Truffaut. But yeah, 400 Blows, it's like you, 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 you're, you know, you're growing up in America and, you know, in the 90s and 2000s. But, you know, years later, you see, you see 400 Blows and you're like, man, you know, this, that's what it was like to be a kid, you know? And I feel like Days and Confused gets that too. I guess I wanted, I was about to say it works like a memory, but one thing I wanted to talk about was how I, how I feel nostalgia is approached within the film. And I'm, I'm not sure what level of nostalgia Linklater is really going back and looking at the past with. I feel like there's a level of nostalgia, like he's looking back and he wants to get everything accurate and like how it kind of looked at the time or how it felt. But there's also like, a lot of the characters talk about how it sucks living in that time. And yeah. it, it, it's it, it, it like like Cynthia, she has like a the redheaded girl character. She has a speech where she talks about like the every other year, the other every other decade theory where, you know, mm-hmm. one decade's a lot more eventful. There's things that happen and the next next decade's kind of more of a lull. And she says like, oh, the 70s obviously suck. So maybe the 80s will be radical. But like we know watching it that the 80s kind of went downhill from from there. Yeah. Uh and, and it's like, being a very consequential time for bad reasons. <laughs> oh yeah, and I was I was thinking somebody like Cynthia would hate Nixon. <laughs> or not Nixon, I'm sorry. I would, would hate, hate Reagan. Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely those those three characters, those three nerd characters, would not like uh, not like Reagan. They're there talking about like worried about Ford's football head injuries. Like, oh man, <laughs> wait know? until bedtime for Bonzas in the office, man. <laughs> yeah, there was fun. definitely a metatextual quality to yeah. that, like a, a wink at the audience. No, who knows what's coming in in history? There's there's also other characters, and I think it's also part of youth too. I noticed there was like Slater talking about girls, how how the, it was it was the girls ahead of them were were the cool girls, like the girls that they're in in their class are all prudes. So it's this idea of like they're they're still existing in in the wrong time, you know. 
Mm-hmm. So it's there, and I'm trying to think. I think there was another one. You go ahead. Did you were you going to say something? Well, well, something that that augments that theme is his inclusion yeah. of the song "Right Place, Wrong Time" by Doctor John. You know. Oh um, yeah. With with the, the common refrain, "I was in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time." I think that speaks to that experience that these characters do feel like they, at their moment in history, don't align with yeah the main society or what's expected of them and that i think is really universal you know that's kind Mm -hmm. of the a theme in in time in memoriam is that we always think that there's some time in the future where we'll fit in or, or a time in the past where we belonged but at the end of the day the present is just something that someone else is going to be nostalgic for later you know and I feel like that's what makes this film such a great coming of age movie versus just being some sort of like nostalgic sort of uh, period film or something like that. How many times have you seen like a period film, especially one that is maybe a coming of age story, um, something like Super 8 maybe, um, the J.J. Abrams movie, you know, I guess that's a sci-fi adventure. But like, imagine those kids talking about how much the 80s suck, you know, they wouldn't. Cause, cause like the movies like that or something, maybe like even like stranger things, like they, they love living in that time period. <laughs> yeah. Stranger things is a little bit more encompassing. There might be a moment where a character is like, man, the eighties suck. And I just don't remember it. But <laughs> my point is just simply, I feel like that is what makes it more authentic to the, the youth, the experience of being a youth, the experience of being an adolescent um, and, and coming of age. Like I said, you know, I have seen a lot of, I do love teen movies and I love watching like coming of age movies. So I feel like I've seen a lot of these and something like Days Confused really hits a lot of those points a lot more authentically, I'd say, than some other films. I want to loop back to something you had mentioned talking about watching this film on the day that it takes place. And yeah. my question is, how many times have you seen this movie is there a specific memory you have of watching? Obviously, there, there's almost a, a ritual to watching this movie on a certain day. Can you talk about that for yeah. a Yeah, I'm not sure how many times I've seen it uh, exactly. I, 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 you know, I'm not good at keeping track of stuff like that. But I, there was a period, at least I'd say in late high school, where I kind of figured out, where I started doing like on the actual uh, last day of school, you know, for my high school. I would um, watch the movie just, you know, as a sort of celebratory, like, hey, you know, here it is. Good way to kick off the summer. Um, but then, you know, as I got older and I was in college, I don't remember at what point in college I figured out, oh, the last day of school in the movie, they say, is like May 28th. I'll start, mm-hmm. you know, watching the movie on that date. But I started doing that at a certain point, and that was really fun. And, and I've been doing that. I didn't get a chance to do that this year. I just was kind of busy around that that weekend and I didn't get a chance to watch it. But yeah, it's just sort of like one of those things where it's fun to put it on as a way to kick off the season. I like watching movies as a sort of like seasonal thing. I like having like, yeah. okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll start summer by watching Days and Confused and I'll, and I'll end the summer by watching um, – uh, like Wet Hot American Summer or something, because that's like a mm. camp movie that takes place at like the end of camp. So you have like the last day of school bookended with like the last day of camp. 
Uh, and then it's just like trying to follow up on that, like actually like getting the time to do <laughs> stuff like that. But yeah, and then like watching, I like to watch like sometimes like Rushmore in the Falls of Fun. That's a fun mm. seasonal oh, watch. Thank yeah, that's my favorite coming of age movie is Rushmore. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's definitely like my number two uh, under under Dazed and Confused. And uh, I don't want to talk too much about that. That that would be a, <laughs> another conversation. It's a different show. Time. Yep. Yeah, but. <laughs> I'll say uh, I do have one really good memory of watching this uh, before we started recording. I know I was talking about like one thing that you miss in the age of streaming is just catching a movie on TV. You don't get that anymore. You know, it used to be when you'd have cable, you could just you'd flip on TV, turn on TV, you'd flip through the channels and there'd just be something playing. And you'd just be like, what is this? I don't know what this is. And it'd just be going and, and you'd watch it. And maybe you'd watch half of the movie and still not know what it was. Um, Days and Confused, I had that moment with when I was a kid. I was probably in elementary school, definitely in elementary school, like, you know, fourth or fifth grade or something. And um, my dad and my mom were in the living room. We're watching TV together. And, um, you know, my dad's flipping through the channels. He lands on days confused and he like leaves it on, you know, but it's the scene where Affleck's character gets busted by that character's mom. And he, and she yeah. pulls the shotgun on, on him. And my mom sees, my mom sees this and she's like, you've got to change this. This is too violent. Just the image of like <laughs> Ben Affleck about to paddle these two kids and a, and a woman pulling a gun on him. My mom was like, no, turn it off and i i don't remember when it was like later that i actually got around to watching it i'm not sure if it was on tv or this one i might have gotten from blockbuster there was definitely a period uh when i was like in junior high uh where i was just getting really into like cult movies and uh mm -hmm. this one came back up so i i it must have been around that time i used to really get into when i was first young and, and really getting into movies i got really into this and one of my favorite things is always to hear like a director talk about like what influenced them to make a movie like what were their main influences because everybody everybody has you know nobody's truly original everybody is always imagining something when they're going into this and and for this movie um two of the main influences were the movie uh over the edge which is a um sort of I'd almost call it like a teen exploitation movie from the 70s. It's about this uh, planned uh, community in the middle of the desert in like California or something. There's basically nothing to do for the kids. They have like a high school and like a rec center. Other than that, they just start taking drugs and like, you know, fighting each other. And the parents are like, I just don't understand what to do. The other film that he had mentioned was a was an influence as far as maybe like tone uh would be the um 80s film uh oh, um uh river's edge very edgy with, movie yes yes with uh keanu reeves and uh crispin glover yeah there's an edge theme here <laughs> that's why i had to stop <laughs> myself because i almost just said over the edge again but um River's Edge is river's edge is really good and, and i bring this up just to say that you know these are these are two films that i watched because of this movie and i feel like anytime something you you're able to to view something and it gives you that further want to watch more to go see something else to see you know more things like the film that that, that you just saw i mean that's just i feel like that's wonderful versus just watching why is that so valuable to you 
Well, I, I feel like it, it it's enriching, you know, it enriches the the experience mm. versus just watching a movie and then just being like, okay, and just like walking away. I, I, a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of movies that come out anymore where it feels like that. You just sort of watch it and you're like, okay, and you just walk away. But, you know, sometimes I... Very disposable, you know, yeah. Yeah, but but to, to be fair, you know, film is a product. To say that every film should be held to the same standard is maybe un, unreasonable. You know, that every film should be as revered as something like Citizen Kane. You know, it's just, it's just not going to... Well, I, not gonna, I don't think it's happen. about holding it to the same impossible standard, but it is... I think what you're hitting on is something very valid. If if there is a movie, though, that yeah. cuts through the noise and becomes a more yes. durable, lasting experience, that's valuable. That means something to us. Yeah, and, and I guess what I'm saying is I don't believe that every film should have to be this great product that's a that's a masterwork that lasts forever. No, something can just be cheap and disposable, and that's fine, you know? But I feel like you get a lot of that, and then you, you do really miss that sort of enriching experience of, of being given inspiration to go out and, and view something more, to find out more about what you've just seen, and that really spoke to me and kind of did set me on that path to learning more. Going back to what we had talked about before we started recording, how do you feel about the themes of this movie? What's your interpretation of the theme? That's one thing is I feel like, so we get that first half of the movie, which really has this thing of like violence as a, as a passage into adulthood. The second half of the movie really sinks into what is on the other side of that sort of pink having to make this next move and his next move in adulthood is finding out that, that you can just quit things that in order for him to, to keep moving, he has to realize what's not working for him and just kind of move away from it. And, and that's football ultimately for him. And I guess it's, it's left open-ended in the film. He's kind of like, I might play next year, but I'm not going to sign this. And that's really him mm. being defiant and trying to stick to some level of his own personal uh, moral code and, and developing that and standing up for it is I feel like part of being an adult. So I guess I shouldn't say he, he like learning to quit developing your own personal like morality, your own personal, what knowing what you care for and being willing to stand up for it, I feel like is the next step in being an adult. I think another prominent theme is almost existentialist in its nature. And it's something that I think would be further developed in everybody wants some, but it's, it relates to a speech that his football playing friend gives at the end when they're, having a joint subcommittee meeting on the 50 yard line. He, he says, I, I just want to make sure that when I look back on this time, I can say I gave it my all while I was stuck here. I had the most fun that I had while I was stuck here. That's what I really take away from this thematically is the idea that we're all kind of thrust into these situations and we don't have a lot of control over it. You know, in, in philosophy, it's known as the concept of, thrown in this we're kind of thrown into these situations but we can we can have a little bit of fun while we're here yeah that that character that's dawn um who's his one of his friends throughout the movie and he, he his character i feel like is the most interesting to me because he's almost like pink but without that sort of existentialism 
like he 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 yeah. he's just fine with being like oh i'll just be a football player and i'll still like drink and like smoke weed and like uh, like bang chicks and, and 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 whatever like they want me to sign this whatever you know like it's it's i'll keep doing what i'm doing like he's not bothered mm-hmm. thinking like there's more there's more than out there's more outside of what he's already doing and that doesn't make him a bad character uh, it, it's just interesting to see that he's kind of like the other side of pink. He's like, he's what pink mm-hmm. could be, but pink is like thinking too much about like his place in, in everything, yeah. which is, which is a very adult thing to think about. And definitely something you do start to think about once you're getting to, um, you know, your senior year of high school. What more can I say about it, Evan? I, I think you've said it all. And I thank you so <laughs> much for being on the show today, Dylan. Thank you. Of course. Always great to talk to you. I'd love to come back anytime. Dylan highlights some important characteristics of film that help Dazed and Confused endure. First is its thematic depth. We discussed how violence functions as a rite of passage, how adolescents develop their own moral code, and existential throneness. That's pretty fantastic mileage for a 102-minute piece. This thematic economy grows naturally from Linklater's observational relaxed, avant-garde style. This is even more pronounced in his earlier film, Slacker. It has been said that Linklater movies don't have antagonists. They're just about people living their lives. Other media products don't seem to exhibit film's creative flexibility. Even good, complex TV seems to give in more easily to formula. It's doubtful that Linklater could express his vision in another medium. While we're on the subject of Linklater, his authorship is another selling point for the film. Linklater has established a certain brand built on his status as an auteur. While, yes, film is a collaborative medium, having a single voice at the helm provides unity of goal. Even highly involved showrunners like David Chase of The Sopranos cede control to various writers and directors. This isn't always a bad thing, But you don't get to see unadulterated artistry across an oeuvre within television. Finally, I'd like to point out the ritualistic nature of film screenings. Dylan watches Dazed and Confused almost every year on the day that the movie takes place. I have certain holiday movies that I watch every year, like It's a Wonderful Life and Elf. Special movies become part of our traditions, which enrich both the movies themselves and the events they commemorate. Even if the viewing isn't tied to a day or season, the film has a proud history of screenings which become events. I'll never forget watching The Room with Tommy Wiseau live in the theater. It's so easy to let our technological abundance compress all of our existence into a six-inch window. But we know that true experience is elevation. Your favorite movie is produced and edited by me, Evan Kelly. Logo designed by Walker Kelly. Music by Morgan Bennett. Special thanks to Lindsay Kelly. If you like the show, please rate it on your favorite podcast platform. You can also reach the show on Facebook or by emailing favoritemoviepodcast at gmail.com. 